Hey there, you are listening to How to Live the Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon, and well done you on tuning into this episode and doing something just for you today. Yeah, you are awesome. You're the best. Go you. We are just full of compliments today. Killing it. Okay, before we get into today's episode, I feel like we have a lot of stuff to catch up on. We sure do. So last week we launched our brand new Tubes collection, which is called Grandma Fanny's Blingo Crew. So this is our autumn winter 2020 collection, which is really just a fancy way of saying we've released some awesome new beautiful shoes. And actually we have a really funny story about how the collection name came about. Basically a while ago, BuzzFeed wrote an article with some shoe recommendations on it and they mentioned tubes. I can't remember exactly in what form, but someone left a comment on the article saying my grandma and her bingo crew all wear tubes. And we like to think she was throwing some serious shade our way, like my grandma and her bingo crew wear tubes. Yeah, like I feel like she was definitely throwing some shade. But when we read that, we just like instantly, firstly, we were super excited because that sounds like an awesome bingo crew. And we want to meet that bingo crew. But also we could just see the collection with like the grandma vibes, you know, bringing in Iris Atfell and all of these amazing style inspirations that we have that are in the older generation, but are so bloody fabulous. So we've shot this amazing campaign with a 65-year-old model. The shoes are all inspired by that amazing grandma glam. You have to check it out. And if you're interested, we're actually having a a drag bingo launch party this Wednesday. So tomorrow we will put the link in the show notes. It's at Evie's Disco Diner in Gertrude Street, Fitzroy. It's going to be so much fun. And in other news, we do have the How to Live X Vamp the podcast happening in two weeks. So that is our collaboration with Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival. We are so excited for this, you guys, because Vamp brings in the most unbelievable guests, editors of magazines and models and all kinds of crazy cool people. And we are going to be having all of them on the podcast. So we're locking down all of the talent at the moment. Stay tuned because we're going to announce here next week who we are having on. But in the meantime, if you do want to go check out all the details and see where you can buy tickets to hear us recording our episodes live for the very first time, then we will chuck that link in the show notes for you as well. That's all the news we have. Let's get into today's episode with the incredible Taria Pitt. Oh, how unbelievably inspiring is this woman? Taria is an athlete. She's an incredibly inspiring motivational speaker and is an author. In 2011, Taria was competing in an ultra marathon in Western Australia when she got trapped by a grass fire. She ended up being airlifted out and doctors did not expect her to survive. And in her recovery, she endured six months in hospital. She underwent over 200 operations and she spent two years in recovery. And what a recovery it has been. She has gone on to inspire millions of people around the world through competing in Ironman and she's a motivational speaker and her story has just inspired so many yeah and also just a side note I was super nervous for this interview because like so was I she is so fantastic and I was so intimidated but she was so so lovely excited to get into this one stick around to the end of the episode to find out who's on next week and until then enjoy Taria (laughs) 
So lately we've been discussing morning routines because we each over the last kind of six months, year have started our own morning routines. Jess is really into yoga now, actually did a yeah. yoga teacher training last year and I've started like meditating, journal, gratitude. I'm like really into my morning routine. Yeah. So we wanted to ask you, what does your morning look like? Yeah, like I think our mornings, are they're actually a really special and sacred part of the day. One of the main things I do in my morning routine is actually something I don't do and that's I don't look at my phone because once you pick up your phone, you kind of get trapped into this vortex of just scrolling through social media or reading your emails and seeing all the things that you need to do for other people rather than thinking about what it is that you want from your day yourself. And before I had a kid, my morning routine looked a lot different. But now that I've got a son and I've got another one on the way, in the mornings, I don't look at my phone. I just like to make that special family time with Huckabye, that's my son, and my partner, Michael. And we'll just kind of hang out for like an hour and a half or two hours because my son wakes up really early this morning and he woke up at five. And so I guess I could Oof. present waking up early, but then I choose to look at it as if, you know, it's really good quality time we get to spend with each other before he goes to preschool. That is really nice. And I even just find about the morning, like there's something different about the energy in the air. Like it's so quiet in the morning. And even at nighttime, there's just like no other time of the day where you kind of get that total clarity. Yeah, for sure. And also when you think about it, like if you want to do something for yourself, whether that's yoga teacher training or meditating or journaling or gratitude practice or whatever, your chances of success are a lot higher if you do it first thing in the morning because if you save that stuff for the end of the day when you're tired and you've been at work and, you know, you might have had a couple of arguments with co-workers, you feel pretty fatigued and probably not in the right headspace to tackle something that's really important for yourself. Mm. But you have to go to bed early enough to support that as well. Oh, mm. you're right. That's a hard one, especially with all the like good shows on, you know, Stan and Netflix and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is hard. We're big TV show people, so we really have to pry ourselves away. Although last night I did get home late after I taught a yoga class and I opted for a book rather than a TV show. And let me tell you, it made like my bedtime probably an hour earlier than it would have been because it's just like you, you get tired. Yeah. So like every night, I'm going to sound like a real nana, but like I, I'm in bed with a book and like usually I'll fall asleep within 20 minutes, but I'm happy with that because then I've gone to bed earlier. Nothing really productive happens after like 10 o'clock, but like mornings, you feel really good about getting up then. So we did want to take you back to before babies, before this amazing motivational career that you've built, back to your early 20s. When we look at you and read your books and we look at all the things that you're doing, I literally can't imagine a world in where you're not as positive and as motivational as you are but when you were in your early 20s did you have that in you? I don't really know if I am a positive person. I know in myself if I choose to look at the world in a positive light and I choose to look at my days being grateful for them it makes me feel a lot better about the day and about the world and it also makes me feel like I've got more energy and I'm happier and I'm more productive so I guess I mean, it's almost like a pragmatic conscious choice to try and look at things in an energetic and positive way because then I find my day just runs smoother I don't actually believe it's necessary to be super positive every day either because I kind of feel like if you're expecting that 
you're always setting yourself up to fail because I think just as we can have days where we're happy and we're overjoyed and we're energetic and enthusiastic, we'll have some times where we feel like shit or we feel angry or we'll feel resentful. And I think that if we try and say, no, I'm not feeling like that at all, it makes those feelings just surface even more. So if I feel like shit, you had a really bad night's sleep, Huckabye didn't sleep that well, it's perfectly normal, it's just a feeling. So that's how I try to look at it as well. I totally agree with you. And I think that that's comforting for people because I know that I used to think of myself as maybe quite cynical or like a bit of a realist, but definitely with a bit of a cynical spin. But it is a choice that I now have incorporated into my day to try and be more positive because I feel like it gives me more. Yeah, that idea of feeling your feelings. I often will be like going throughout the day, why aren't I more happy? Why aren't I more positive? And when you're resisting those feelings, they never go away. And then when I remember, Remember to, oh, just let them be and feel a little bit shit for a sec or, you know, have a bit of a cry if you need to in the car. And then afterwards you're like, oh, now I'm happy. You kind of need to sail through it. Yeah. And also just to remember there's nothing inherently wrong with feeling sad or angry or miserable or down. They're just all feelings. I think they're all part of the spectrum of life really. And you can't be happy and enthusiastic and energetic without sometimes feeling a bit down as well. Yeah, you kind of need like the full spectrum. I definitely know that for a while, oh, we're getting deep here real quick. For a while, I was quite numb and I never really understood why I should want to experience sadness, but I just live in this state of being and people were like, no, but by not allowing yourself to feel sad, you're also not really allowing yourself to feel happy. And I I didn't grasp that until I grasped it. And I think it takes a while. So when you were younger, you had studied mining engineering and you were also a model. What kind of plans did you have for your life at that point? Like we love, you know, looking back and like we're all trying to like plan out our lives exactly right now. And we're trying to be like, I'm going to be doing this in five years. I'm going to be doing this in 10 years. And so often it just doesn't turn out the way you planned. Did you have this plan for yourself when you were younger? No, no, no. I wanted to be a mining engineer and I wanted to progress up the corporate career ladder, I guess. So I thought one day maybe I could be CEO of Rio Tinto or something. That was the plans of... 23-year-old Terea. And obviously the life I have right now is very, very different to that as well. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a plan for your life because I also think if you don't know what direction you want to go in, how could you ever possibly get there? So I don't think there's anything wrong with having a plan or setting goals. I love goals. I've always been a really big fan of goals. But I think you also need to be fairly flexible in them as well. We're also a massive fan of goal setting, but I guess, yeah, finding that happy medium where if it doesn't end up, you're not totally hating it and not pushing against the natural way that things are panning out. Yeah, but at the same time, like if you don't achieve a goal that you really, really wanted to achieve, of course you're going to be upset and disappointed. And I think that's fine too. Just allow yourself to be irritated and down and annoyed and upset I mean you look at Olympic swimmers when they get a silver medal and they will be crying on the podium because they didn't get gold it seems crazy to us because you think I mean you got silver like that's awesome (laughs) but if they've had their sights on getting gold for years they've worked towards that goal every single morning they get up at 3am to go to the pool and that's been their sole focus and then they don't get it like of course they will be disappointed yeah and I guess it goes back to that They can feel it and process it. Like, I love this. We've already got like a theme going on here, which is like 
feel whatever you feel, like whatever mm. it is, it is okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we know that you've told this story many, many times, but in case there are any listeners who haven't heard, we'd love you to just give us an overview of what happened with your accident in 2011. Yeah, sure. So in 2011, I was working as a mining engineer at the Argyle Diamond Wine, and that was in Outback Australia. And I used to go for runs after work because I found it to be quite stressful. So I'd go for a run after work and just kind of decompress and think about my day and reset for the next day. And because I loved running, I decided to enter an ultra marathon. An ultra marathon is usually over 100 kilometers. And so I entered this ultra marathon. I showed up on the day and about a quarter of a way through the race, so about 25 kilometers, myself and five other runners were trapped by a fire. I got burnt to 65% of my body. I got evacuated four hours later by helicopter. And I remember having this really bizarre thought like, oh, this will be an interesting story to tell people at work on Monday. Like I had no capacity to recognise the extent of what had happened to me. And I think that's your body's natural response too, to make sure that you keep going until you get to safety, I guess. But I woke up a month later in Concord Hospital in Sydney and that was really where the hard work of my journey began because I always get asked what the hardest point was and it wasn't the ultramarathon, it wasn't getting burnt initially, it was the first time. I had to learn how to stand up and it was so hard because the enormity of what lay ahead of me just hit me in the face because I couldn't even stand up by myself. So immediately I started wondering, well, how will I walk again? How will I run again? How will I go back to work? How will I compete again? How will I have a family with Michael? And what really saved me at that time was that I had a really big goal in that I wanted to do an Ironman one day. So every morning I'd do my physio session, I'd walk the stairs, I'd walk laps of the hallway and I would just focus on one day doing an Ironman, which I did. My first Ironman was in 2016 and then I did the Kona Ironman, the big daddy of Ironman later that year as well. Incredible reading about your story and I knew that you had done Iron Man, but I just assumed that like you had done it a lot before and you were like really big into Iron Man and it was just like, oh, now you're continuing what you're already doing. But to then actually experience what you did and then say like, fuck you, yeah. look at what I'm going to go and do. And then to actually go and not only do one, but I know that you have to like qualify and it's everyone's dream to get into Kona Iron Man is just absolutely incredible. Talking about feeling your feelings, was there moments in the beginning where you were like, fuck, this is so fucked? Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's why I think for anyone who's working towards a goal or something really important, I don't think you can spend too much energy focusing every day on the end point. So I would always break it down. Whenever I felt overwhelmed or like I'm only running two kilometres at the moment, how the hell am I going to be able to run a marathon? I would just think all I have to do today is my training session and if I just do my training session every day, by the time Ironman comes around, I'll be ready. So I always put that big goal of Ironman to the back of my mind and every day I would just focus on doing my training session. And so I still do this today with whatever it is I'm doing. However big my goal is, I don't focus on the whole thing at once all the time because when you do that, it can be really demoralising because let's say, you know, with you two, if you want to start a TV show or something, when you're at the very start, you kind of think, well, where do I start? How the hell am I going to do that? What steps do I need to take? You can almost talk yourself out of it before you even begin. 
Or you could go, okay, we want to do a TV show. What would be a step that we would need to take to make that happen? Hey, we've got a friend who's a producer. Let's just set up a coffee meeting with him and chat to him about it. That small little baby step is a lot more manageable for us to take as well. So I think it's important to have a really big goal. You need to be really clear on your motivation for why you want to achieve that goal as well because the reality is with goal setting, a lot of the days you have towards working to that goal are really hard and tough. So if you don't have a really clear and articulate reason for why you want to achieve it, it can be really easy to give up. And I also think taking the pressure off yourself, just focusing on the baby steps and making sure you're consistent because we can all go to the gym once, you know, or maybe twice, but going to the gym every single day for six months while you're training for something, that's a lot harder. So I think making sure you're consistent as well. Were there moments in there where did you have people saying to you, nah, you're not going to be able to do this, you're not going to be able to walk again, let alone running an Ironman? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I think that's why it's really important to have the people that you surround yourself with. They don't necessarily have to be arse lickers or yes men or blowing smoke at you all the time, but I think they do need to be people who believe in what you're trying to achieve. And I guess my family are all really on board with me wanting to do an Ironman. Whenever I have an idea that I want to do, they all think, okay, that's awesome, great idea, like let's get you started. And I think as well my partner, Michael, was very much on board with what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve as well. And I think if you weren't surrounded by people as positive, it would be a lot harder for you as well. But I always think you're the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. So I'm pretty lucky that all of the people closest to me are pretty positive and adventurous people. You're lucky and you've also probably like attracted that as well and those are the people that you've chosen to surround yourself with. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know if you guys remember at school, if you're hanging out with a certain group and your parents didn't like you hanging out with those people because you become who you're spending the most time with. So if you're hanging out with people who are positive and fun and adventurous and happy, you're probably more likely to become like that. Whereas if you're spending time with people who are lacking enthusiasm, downers, not really wanting to try anything new, you'll probably be a little bit more like that as well. The most clear example of that as well, just like a visual, is when you see groups of friends that are out together and they dress similarly. And I always (laughs) find that really funny because it's kind of like, yeah, your insides match, but then your outsides also match and Mm. it's a bit of a funny scenario. Oh, my God. I'm actually just wondering now if I dress like my friends. (laughs) (laughs) We kind of underestimate as well the courage that it takes to say, I am going to set this goal. As you're talking and you went from not being able to walk to doing these crazy Ironman, I'm sitting here thinking about like my own goals at the moment and I'm really hypermobile. So I keep throwing things out on my back and I can't walk. And at the moment, like I can't walk properly for like a few minutes. And I've set myself a goal for like the first time ever, I've got like an exercise goal, which is in October, I want to walk the half Melbourne marathon which seems like so nothing. It's not. That's an awesome goal to have. Yeah. How are you feeling about it? So it's funny because it's like yesterday I saw my physio and I told him about it and then like, you know, I told Jess about it. And every time I tell someone, I feel like a total idiot and I feel (laughs) like they're going to turn around to me and be like, that's so stupid. But nobody has and everybody's been like, that's amazing. That's such a great goal. But it takes like so much courage. As I'm saying it out loud, it sounds like such a small goal. It takes a lot to just say, this is what I want to do. 
yeah, I think it does take courage to say that. But I think you've also been really clever about it because it almost makes you a bit accountable. You know what I mean? Like you've told your sister, you've told your physio, you've told me now. <laughs> I think like with goals that if you want to achieve something, when you start telling other people that you're going to do this thing, the pressure is on you then to actually go and do it. And I think that's part of the reason why with my recovery I was really public about it because I almost got the public spy in on my journey. You know, I was like, I've told everyone in Australia that I'm doing this stupid Ironman. If I back out or I don't do it, I'm going to look like an idiot, you know. So I think social accountability is key, especially when it comes to goal setting. You touched on something there that we actually did want to talk about, which was the fact that you kind of were so public in your recovery. And I think that that also just shows this amazing courageousness that rather than shying away and dealing with it by yourself, even just choosing to be a victim and, oh, no, poor me, this awful thing happened to me. You kind of took it and you went out and you were like, well, now I'm going to inspire and motivate other people. Yeah. How did you make that decision to turn your story into something that really inspires? I had a pretty clear choice. You know, we got home from hospital. I got made redundant from my job as an engineer. Michael and I were living at his parents' place. He was my full-time carer. I didn't go anywhere. I just went to my physio and doctor's appointments. And I looked at my life and I was like, this life is actually really shit. It's really boring and I don't really want to be living it. And so I thought if I just play the victim card, then this will be my life forever. I won't be able to do anything different. And I thought, or I could go out there and, and have a go and try to reinvent myself, forge a new career, try something different. I don't know where that will lead me. But I also knew the alternative of just staying at my parents-in-law house every single day. I love them, but <laughs> that wasn't very appealing to me. That's amazing because it's like anyone in any situation, if you don't like it, change it. I was looking through your website and you have so many like motivational and inspirational tips for people and you'll be like talking them through how to like set some social media goals and then you're like, I fucking went through a fire and I got up and I did an Iron Man. Now you go do your goals and you're like, well, I can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I also think when I give you that short little spiel there, it probably sounds like, oh, she's so strong, she's never had a bad day in her life. And that's not true either because, of course, when you're trying to rebuild your life and you're in a lot of pain and you're having operations continuously and it's two steps forward and then three steps back, like, of course, I did have bad days and hard days. They're kind of valid responses too, like, you would be crazy to assume that anyone who's going through something tough, whether that's cancer or a divorce or they lose someone that they're really close to, of course they're going to have bad days and hard times and I think they're kind of inevitable in life as well. Do you think it's just like how you kind of pick yourself up and keep moving forward? Yeah, well, like with me, I saw a psychologist. I went to the gym every day. I did my exercises. I wore this mouth splint. It was really painful. I had to wear it for two hours every day. I did that. So I think most people know what work needs to be done. And I just did the work that I had to do. Like when the physio said, you have to do this exercise 10 times a day, three sets each time, I would do it. And I think that's crucial too, because it's not like I've gotten to this place where I'm living a really awesome life without any hard work. Like there's been a lot of hard work and tough times along the way. But I guess I've just accepted them as part of my recovery. We do always know what needs to be done, but you've just got to go out there and do it. 
yeah, you know, like seeing a psychologist, like that wasn't a enjoyable experience. It's not like going out for coffee with your girlfriends. <laughs> I knew that my mental health was suffering and it was something that I needed to work on. So I saw a psychologist and she'd give me exercises every week and I would do them, you know. So I think you recognise you have a problem but you also need to be willing to put in the work to try and rectify it as well. So we were having a flick through your book for teens that you recently released called Good Selfie. And there was a quote in there that we really loved, which is, your happiness depends on you. No one can make you happy. That's your job. And while the book is tailored towards teens, when we read that, we were like, we feel like that's a lesson that like most adults also haven't really like learned yet and something that we're still also going through the journey of learning. So can you kind of talk us through that? I guess it was just that we can always think about what's not working in our lives and what our boss has done to us, what our coworkers are doing to us, what our mum doesn't do for us, what our partner doesn't do for us. And that's almost like passing the buck a little bit to all of these people in your life that you're expecting to do all of these things to make you happy. And I really think we should probably take a little bit more ownership of it because at the end of the day, for most people, right, because there are serious mental health issues that some people have. But I think for the general public, happiness is a choice and they get to decide every morning how they want to feel and how they want to approach their day. But it's really hard to tell people that as well. It is, yeah. I feel like people forget it. People listening might be like, nah, it's not a choice for me. But it really is. Like everything involves hard work. It's hard work to be happy. You've got to put in the work. You've got to take time for yourself, do the things that make you happy, shift the way you're thinking about I'm a victim, poor me, my boss is singling me out. Like it's hard but we can do it. Yeah, it is hard and it's almost a bit counterintuitive to say that happiness is hard work but I think at the end of the day most things in life, especially things that are worthwhile, do involve a fair amount of hard work. I think that's just the truth of it. And I think you can spend hard work trying to be happy, but it's also pretty hard being unhappy as well. Totally. So we were also discussing the idea of procrastination. We downloaded your procrastination guide. I was laughing at the beginning when it's like, okay, I'm not a procrastinator. And you're probably thinking, why the hell did this girl get me to download this guide? (laughs) But if I have a long list of tasks to do, my instinct is to be like, I'll do that later. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that next week. I'll do that never. Like that's how I feel like I'm getting through my to-do list is just by procrastinating on things. And then at the end of the day, I feel so shit about myself because like I've gone and I've done the easiest things. Yeah. So tell us your secrets if you're not a procrastinator. Well, so theoretically in the morning, if you've had a good night's sleep, that's when you have the most willpower, yeah? And that's why, you know, at the end of the day where you open up the fridge and you can't decide what to eat because you're just so like fried from your day, Oh, yeah. Your willpower tank is on empty. So your willpower tank is full in the morning. So that's why I always use my mornings to do the stuff that is important but not necessarily urgent. So let's say I'm working on my new book. I start my morning off doing the book work because otherwise if I wait till 4 o'clock in the arvo, chances of it getting done are zero. So I start my days off doing the hardest work first and then I usually only have like two things that I need to do and then the rest of the things like emails and phone calls and meetings, they're just like little fillers in your day. And so I think 
if you use that precious morning time to do like emails and phone calls and stuff, your ability to actually get some serious work done is compromised. Mm. But I also recognize like not everyone is a morning person either. But I'm not a morning person, but that definitely resonates with me because I think when I start my day just doing like seemingly easy little things like sending emails, I've kind of become exhausted and frustrated and you let like the external stuff get in your head. And then once you like kind of turn to the bigger things, you don't really have the energy for it anymore. Exactly. And that's why like we talked a little bit about mornings at the start. As soon as you pick up your phone and start checking your emails, you're all of a sudden thinking about what everyone else needs rather than what you actually want from your day yourself. So I'm a big believer in mornings and I use my mornings after I drop my son off at preschool, I'll use that to actually do writing or to do some more serious work that probably wouldn't get done if I waited until later on in the day. I actually had this exact experience that we're talking about yesterday and today. I'm like in the middle of designing a new collection and I had to just spend some like real time doing it yesterday. But of course, I did the urgent things first and then I did the emails and the calls and the meetings and all the stuff. And then by the end of the day, I didn't have time. So I woke up at 6am this morning and I came into work early and I just got some stuff done that I really needed to. And now I feel amazing and it's 12 o'clock and I've already like ticked such big stuff off. Yeah, and it makes you feel good. And then the rest of the day you can spend doing emails and phone calls and social media and that type of stuff and you don't feel guilty about it and you don't feel like a shit person either because when you procrastinate, it's very easy to tell yourself, you're a loser, I told you you couldn't do this and now you're showing yourself that you can't do it either. That mean voice. Our inner critic. Oh, yeah. She's fun, isn't she? Oh, yeah. (laughs) She's a real feisty one. I keep calling myself an idiot, I've noticed. Out loud or in your head? In my head. I'm like, you're such an idiot. And then I'm like, I wouldn't say that to anyone else. Why do I say that to me? Yeah. If I catch my inner critic saying something really mean, I try to stop her and say, like, how would you talk to your best friend? Like, you'd never say to your best friend, you're an idiot. You're always getting shit wrong. Like, you shouldn't even have a job. (laughs) Like, you would never say that to someone you love. But yet we say that type of stuff to ourselves on autopilot all the time. Yeah, that's something that I've also been trying to be more mindful of lately is, like, my negative thoughts creeping in and just trying to know that, like, I am not them. And I think that that's a concept that... We just assume that we are them and they are us, but actually we're two different things and I don't need to listen to those mean things in my head. They're actually not a reflection of who I am. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it's just a thought as well. Yeah. So do you have a way that you get yourself on more positive self-talk? I mean, through doing Ironman, you must have had to like really pump yourself up. Well, I try to speak to myself like I would speak to a best friend. I also remind myself, like if I'm tuning into that little voice all the time, that means I'm spending too much time in here and not enough time out there. And out there is like I'm not spending enough time producing awesome work, creating great content, being of service to others in my community, being a really good mom, being a really good partner to Michael. So if I'm always in here, then that means all of those other things I just listed, I'm not spending enough time doing those things. Get out there and 
go do what makes you feel good, right? Yeah, exactly. So we also really wanted to talk to you about Tony Robbins because we saw you joined him as a headliner at an event in Brisbane. Yeah. Can you tell us about that experience? Firstly, are you a massive fan? When I was a kid, my dad used to play like the Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within audio tapes around the house. So I grew up with Tony. So I've always been a pretty big fan. Look, I don't agree with everything that he does, but I think that the same could be said for pretty much anyone in the world as well. Mm. I'm a Tony fan and I spoke with him at Brisbane. Have you guys been to any Tony events? We haven't, but we've watched a Netflix special with our team. Well, that, that one makes that event look so hectic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was intense. We were all like bawling our eyes out. We got invited to the one in Sydney actually recently, but we couldn't go for some reason. I think we were away or we had something on in Melbourne. But I was a little bit scared when we got invited. We were scared. <laughs> From watching that Netflix, I was like, oh, okay, that would be an intense experience. Well, I watched that Netflix and I was like, who is this man? He's crazy. <laughs> He's like a really nice, genuine person in real life and he's got this – test I guess you'd call it it's called a firewalk do you guys know about his firewalk no no so he gets a pit of burning hot coals at around 500 degrees celsius and the aim is to walk bravely across without burning yourself and so when I was at the Tony event he told everyone in the audience that we were going to be attempting to do it and I was like no I didn't sign up for this shit so (laughs) I'm out of here I'm not doing this so I went to the door like to leave the room and one of his team was guarding it. And he goes, like, Tony knows who you are and Tony wants you to do the firewalk. Oh, my God. And I, was, and I was feeling really sassy. So I was like, we can go tell Tony to get fucked. There's no way in hell that I'm doing it. I thought about it a little more rationally. And you know how when you're really scared of something, there's also a little piece inside you that thinks it would probably be good for you. Every time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up doing the firewalk and it was nowhere near as scary as what I had anticipated. And so Tony went and then I went straight after him. Talk us through it. What do you mean? Like is there some sort of Zen meditation you do to like get into a zone where it doesn't affect you? Well, I did some research on it and our skin is a poor conductor of heat as are coals. So if you're just walking across them, you won't get burnt. Oh, so it's just like a mental battle. Yeah, but it's like kind of massive mental battle when there's like burning hot coals. Absolutely. Yeah. So you walk over it and do you feel heat? Yeah. But if you do something stupid like trip over <laughs> and fall on the hot coals. Oh, that would totally be me. <laughs> we do wrap up every interview with some quick fire questions. Okay, go for it. The first one is what is your favourite book? The Map That Changed the World, which is about a geologist. Awesome. What's the one thing you wish you knew about motherhood before you had your first child? I feel like everyone tried to prepare me. You know, they said, you'll be tired, you won't have enough time. So everyone told me those things. It was just that I didn't listen. (laughs) You think, yeah, 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 that was you, but my child will be so much different. (laughs) So listen to people. Okay, so we sometimes get nervous before interviews or speaking in public and we know you do a lot of that. So we wanted to ask you, do you have like any rituals you do before speaking in public? I do a quick little gratitude practice and I try and take the focus off myself and remind myself that it's not about me, it's about the audience and what I'm giving them and what they might learn from me as well. 
And again, I think just shifting that focus away from yourself and onto other people, I think that really helps with performance anxiety. But yeah, I still always get nervous. But that's such awesome advice. I love that. Mm, I feel like that's good advice for me walking into a yoga class because I still, when I'm teaching, get a little bit nervous just when I'm about to take that last step inside the room. (laughs) How do you teach yoga and do all the stuff that you guys are doing? Oh, I don't know how she has time. It's crazy. I only teach like two classes a week. It's just like a hobby. We still have to like prepare for those classes get the soundtrack for those classes. Yeah, but like all very fun activities. Like, you know, I do that in my spare time. The last quick fire is you're such a funny writer. When we read your things, we always have really good giggles and like reading them out in the whole office and everyone's in hysterics. (laughs) So what do you do to get in the zone when you're writing? So it's the first thing in the morning. So after I spent that college time with my son, he's at preschool, I'm downstairs in my office with my laptop, my phone's off, so I'm not getting distracted. And I sit down and I say, write for 20 minutes. And whatever you write about is what you write about. And if it's a good session, I might write for a couple of hours. And if it's a crap session, I might write the same sentence 20 different times for 20 minutes. But I don't beat myself up when that happens because I tell myself that's just part of the writing process because creativity, it's not like you get a constant output every day. Someday you might be able to write pages and pages. The next day you might only be able to write one sentence, but it might be that magic sentence that joins up two different paragraphs that you've been searching for as well. That's such awesome advice because I think like if it's not coming, sometimes you're like sit here and then you end up sitting there for two hours and you haven't really written anything. So it's like if it's not happening and you get up and go do something else, then that's a way better use of time. I still consider it a win if I've sat down and I'm prepared and I try and write and if nothing comes out, then nothing comes out. There's not that much you can do about that. (laughs) Oh, I feel like your whole motto is just like let go and let it be and it's all good. Yeah, yeah. You should tell my partner I'm like that though because he reckons I'm very like pedantic. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll tell him. Get him on here. (laughs) Loving that you guys think I'm like all flowy and, you know. Oh, yeah, that's totally the vibe we're getting. I love yoga as well. Oh, awesome. This has been absolutely incredible. Thank you, ladies. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Wow, it was completely surreal to get to sit down with Taria and have that chat with her. She's just absolutely incredible, so down to earth. Not at all what I expected, but also as I expected in a weird way. I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know if it does either. <laughs> and she actually was very, very pregnant when we chatted to her and has since had her baby a couple of weeks ago now, a beautiful baby boy. So congrats to her. Congrats, Taria. And if you did love this episode, if you really felt like you got something out of it, we would just love you to share it with other people so that we can spread this podcast and spread good in other people's lives. So you can do that in a few ways. You can leave us a review in your podcast app. Leave us five stars, please. And you can definitely join our Facebook group, How to Live the Podcast, because we would love to continue the conversation with you. Yeah, come along over to the Facebook group. We love chatting in that Facebook group. It's really fun. I'm about to share a story in there actually that happened to me on the weekend. Oh, can't wait to hear it. So next week on the podcast, we have the incredible Gretel Colleen. Wow. I feel like at some point next week, we need to say it's time to go Gretel. 
<laughs> or it's time to come Interview. in. Yeah. Gretel. So Gretel Colleen is a comedian, TV presenter, and author. She was the host of Big Brother for many, many years, which is where we fell in love with her. She's pretty incredible. Take a listen. I think there should be a word in English for when you earn an income doing something that you really love because I do it anyway. You know, I just happen to make a living doing it. I think expressing who you are, that's the whole key to happiness and that's the reason you're here as a unique individual. That's next week right here on the podcast. In the meantime, see you at Drag Bingo on Wednesday, hopefully, and we hope that you just keep doing stuff for yourself this week because you are awesome. You do you, babe. We love you. Bye. See ya. Na 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 na